Good to see you this morning. I'm so glad you joined us. I, I'm feeling a little drier this week, and that feels very nice. I, I put these shoes on this morning. It's the first time since they were full of water last week. And you know that deal when leather gets wet, how it's, you, know, you put them back on, it's like, it's not like they're brand new. It's like they're never the same. Never the same. They're <laughs> Just, disgusting. Yeah. So kind of crunchy, kind of, you know. But anyway, they're, they're shoes, and it beats being barefoot, I guess. So anyway, really good to see you today. Wow, we've got a lot, a lot to go ahead and uh, get to you today by way of the, by way of the update. Tell yeah. us about, it's kind of funny to watch this mix this morning of celebration and mourning as kids walk in, realizing this is the week that <clears throat> it all starts again. Yeah. But let's make them happy because the it that starts it again around here is Revive and Refuge. Yes, and we are <clears throat> back this evening with High School and Revive from 6 to 8. Um, we usually, because kids can drive themselves, we let them hang out a little later. So our official end time, if you're the one picking up, is 8 o'clock. But if they want to linger a little bit, we try and get to our, um, our post-meeting with our, our leaders at about 8.30. So they can linger on just past that, but just know that if they're not going to miss anything if you pick them up at 8. So 6 to 8 for the high schoolers, and then on Wednesday, our junior hires get to come, and technically a lot of our area schools start on Wednesday. So while it'll be a drag in the morning, we'll have a blast um, in the evening, 6.30 to 8.30. And that's anyone entering 6th grade through entering 8th grade this year. We've had some confusion in the past as to whether 5th graders can come because both Shannon and Manuka have fifth graders at the sixth grade building. Oh. So that's a little confusing, but yeah. So you have to be in sixth, seventh, or eighth grade this fall in order to come to refuge. But we'd love to have everybody there. I actually got a pretty awesome message uh, from one of our students uh, going into eighth grade, and if this was on Thursday. The, the message came through Remind from his mom's, I don't think he has a phone, so it was, it was through his mom's account. Hey, Brian! And that's literally all, all I got. Hey, Brian! With an exclamation point. Yeah? Hello? <laughs> when, when does Refuge start? Does it start this week? And then just went on this like long tirade of excitement. He's like, Wednesdays have been so boring. I can't wait to get back to Refuge. I'm so excited. So yeah, we're, we are too. We're fired up. And uh, yeah, it starts all this week. That is awesome. The other thing that is getting going is uh, all of our journey groups. So there are a lot of options. And the thing I wanted to say about that to start is the, the easiest and best way to access group options as well as the group you're a part of is to get the church app. So uh, you can go on our website and, and go ahead and get the link for that. We use, a, we use a platform that goes with all the other things that we use, like online giving, groups, events. It all uh, funnels through that particular uh, platform, and they offer an app for that. So the thing we, we need to say about that is if you've been attending another church and they happen to use the same platform, uh, one of the things you'll need to do then is log out and search Southfield. Mm -hmm. And if you search Southfield, then you find us. And the thing I, I love about it, so, you know, I go to the bottom of this thing. It's got a home button, a give button, and the third one over is groups. And when I, when I bring that up, First of all, it lists all the groups that I'm a part of right now. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm in eight groups. What's going on? I'm a group junkie. But uh, anyway, uh, it lists the groups I'm a part of. But then for a junkie like me, it also gives me the chance to find more. Mm -hmm. So if I go down to find a group and hit journey groups, all of a sudden I see that, wow, I, I think I'm going to start going to the bananas play group. That looks good. <laughs> um, all, all kinds of different options. 22. And, as of 20, this 22 in all. Yeah. And, and, and really, you get the variety of, you know, some are 
Some are according to age. Some are according to kind of stage of life. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are just plain open to, if you're interested, come on out. Um, I'm actually offering one, we're calling it a year or less, which is basically for people who have been here a year or less. So, and some of you will go, well, wait a second, I came in, you know, I came in June, Fourth does, that count, as a, year, does yeah. that count as a year? You know, that's not really the issue. The issue is, if you're still in that stage of trying to figure out the connecting process, great group to jump into. So I had you scroll through just to kind of look at what did you see there that either you might be interested in or you want to say, hey, this is interesting. Well, I just, I want to throw out, there are a lot of different um, student options for us, um, both in, a lot of them are on Sunday afternoons, a lot of them are um, like one-time events, uh, but the girls are having, both junior high girls and high school girls are having some pretty great um, Bible study options that they could definitely go ahead and get signed up for. I do want to clarify, because I've had this question come my way in uh, the last two weeks, you do not need to sign up or register for Revive or Refuge. You just show up, mm -hmm. and we ask them to fill out a little card so that we know they're there, and so that if we lose one, we know which one it is kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but you don't need to actually register for that. But there are a lot of different options. Another thing that I did notice as I was scrolling through is that I totally botched the delivery on Don's group last week. I looked at the surface level and only saw four dates. Well, that was only the first four dates of eight uh, that he is doing. So that group is going to be really cool. It's a Bible study, then a trap shooting night, then Bible study, then uh, a Bible study with an optional trap shooting. So you can technically trap shoot twice a month, um, and it goes for eight weeks, which is really, really cool. So sorry to, to Don for misdelivering or under-delivering on, on his group last week. But I, I think the... There, the options that are available, the thing that I noticed most was there are four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, 12 weeks. There are all different kinds of options. And I think when you are able to commit, whether it's your first group or your 10th group, when you are able to commit to being there for those weeks, you're going to get to know some really great people. You're going to get a lot of, I mean, there are a ton of different books of the Bible that we're studying. We're getting into Judges. We're getting into Philippians. We're getting into Jude. I mean, so many different really cool options. That you I, I wonder if in the history into. of the church, if a small group has been offered on Jude, and I mean the history of the church of Jesus Christ, <laughs> not just the history of Southfield. I mean, Jude, really? Jude That's awesome. Really happy, That's you know? awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy. So the, and they're all they're all getting started here in the next um, three to four weeks. Basketball starts next or tomorrow. So um, so we have some things getting fired up this week. But most groups, if you look, are starting that uh, the week following Labor Day. So like September. 12th, 13th, 14th in that range. So Some are offered here. Some are offered in home. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing you'll want to pay attention to is some offer child care, some don't. And so if it doesn't offer child care, just want to you know, politely say one of the options isn't to just say, hey, I'm just going to come and leave my kid off in a room until our group is done. And we, and we do that sincerely because we want to ensure the safety of the kids. We have, we have standards by which we go for, you know, watching kids around here, making sure there are two people with them, all those sorts of things. So, so you know, just kind of saying, hey, my kid will be okay, that's, that's not what we work. So if, yeah. it's, if it's not offered, uh, you need to find a, a child care op option for your children. Speaking of child care, there <clears throat> is a chance that you can sign up to help moms attend a journey group. So we're asking... If you want to sign up, um, if you are high school or older, and a guy, girl, doesn't matter, you can actually serve on the child care team so that a mom who potentially might not be able to come to a journey group on Thursday nights uh, can come. 
and we're actually offering uh, some payment there. So if you're in high school and you're looking for a little extra side cash or you just want to help out Southfield moms be able to come to this Thursday night group, we do have an application for that. Um, so, and that was sent out in the update this week. The, the group that that's attached to is actually not under journey groups, it's under events. So yeah. that's the other thing that you definitely want to check out. Like all the, the high school guys Bible study is technically not under journey groups because it's a series of one-time events. Um, so any group that has a fee or it's meeting just for that one flash time um, is going to be under the events tab, which just due to re different registration through the system, we have to do it that way. So make sure that you don't ignore those as well. Hit events, check those out. Um, but certainly if you can help out um, in terms of childcare, that would be really, really helpful. Yeah, and we put that in the update. If, if you read under journey groups, it says some are under groups, some are, some are under events. So look at both. And again, if you have the app, the third button over is groups, the fourth button over is, uh, is events. Mm -hmm. So you can go ahead and look at either. So the other thing that we wanted to talk through this morning, we've had this uh, series of, of great little first steps getting involved in church. And um, I think we started them about two years ago. We started them just prior to, you know, the COVID ev evacuation and everything else. And, um, and we called them step in, step out, step in, step up. And I loved them, right? And what I found is that everybody was confused to death on what was which and how and why. And, okay, I'm I, stupid. Okay. I'm, I'm a really dumb guy. And so even looking at, like, the steps, I, when, explain to me like I'm five. And still, like, it just wasn't clicking. So this is really my fault. I apologize so, so this to everyone. So this is the, the five-year-old version, okay? <laughs> this is the five-year-old version. This is what we're going to do from here on out. We're calling the first one, say hello, all right? You're new to church, come say hi. What we find generally, and I think I would do this if I was looking for a church, I'd come for several weeks as late as I possibly can, slip in the back door and scoot out and just, I'd want to see what's going on, but I'm not ready to know or touch people yet. You know, I'm just going to kind of, mm, okay, it seems safe. I don't think there, I didn't see him kill a chicken during the service or anything like that. I think it's okay to come back. So at some point, you got to make this decision to step out of anonymity and be known. And, and we're encouraging you to do that by on Sunday mornings, most Sunday mornings after church, I'll be up here, we'll take your picture and put your name on it so that we can start to get to know your name. Now, when I say we, what do I mean? We, me, we, Brian, staff, we'll, you know, we'll share those things. But you don't have to worry that your picture is going to show up on social media yeah. or I'm going to be using it as an example during a sermon or something like that. It's just for the ability to be able to really get your name down. Names matter. The most fundamental piece of community is I know who you are, you know who I am, we know names. The second step we're calling connect. And, and connect is a, a one-time event to just really do just that. Come on in, get to know the bits and pieces of who we are. We'll ask some of your story, and it gives a chance for newer people one time to come say hi, learn a few things about what's going on around here. But more important than that, I think what we're going to try to walk through is helping people understand, you know, walking into a new church is tough. It's not easy, especially if you've been going somewhere else for a long time. 
And so what do you need to do uh, to kind of get rolling again in terms of getting involved in a new community? And then the last one we're calling Southfield 101, which is just the basics of this is, this is our calling, this is, this is, this is our culture, uh, this is what we're all about. So, so hopefully there's a little more clarity there. And you notice that, like I said, the first one is offered anytime after church, come on up. The second one, is they're one time. So you come either on September 18th or on November 13th from 3 to 5. That's a Sunday. And then the other one is actually offered next week. So that was called one of the step groups before. And now it's Southfield 101. So you come to that on the 21st or October 16th. We'll try to offer those on an alternating basis throughout the school year so that you get that chance to be able to connect if you're, if you're new and trying to figure out what's going on. Speaking of new connections and going back to students, I do want to throw one thing at you just so that you're not caught off guard and I don't start any fights in homes this week. I'm going to be encouraging all of our high schoolers tonight and all of our junior hires on Wednesday. If you're coming to a Sunday morning service, uh, generally speaking, our students have taken over the front row and sometimes that bleeds even into the second row. Um, so I'm gonna encourage them that that is an option if you wanna get to know some kids your age, and usually as soon as service ends, there's like a little congregation, they're just casually talking. It's a really easy on-ramp for, for students uh, to be able to get to know some people who they're gonna be spending time with um, throughout, the, throughout the ministry season. If you want your child to sit with you during service, we also highly encourage that. We know that, that this time is really meaningful. Um, so if, you know, have those conversations before, I just go ahead and blast and say, you must be sitting in the front row. I'm not, I'm not in any way, shape, or, do, or form trying to do that. Um, but so have those conversations as a family. Um, and if you're a student who would like to get to know some other students, come on and uh, sit up with us in the, in the front couple rows. It's not scary. We don't spit too much. Good deal. So we're going to jump to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and love for you to read that for us this morning. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will only love themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel, and they will hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They will be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure more than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. They are the kind who work their way into the people's homes and win the confidence of vulnerable women who are burdened with the guilt of sin and controlled by various desires. Such women are forever following new teachings, but they are never able to understand the truth. These teachers oppose the truth, just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses. They have depraved minds and a counterfeit faith, but they won't get away with this for long. Someday, everyone will recognize what fools they are, just as with Janus and Jambres. But you, Timothy, certainly know what I teach and how I live and what my purpose in life is. You know my faith, my patience, my love, and my endurance. You know how much persecution and suffering I have endured. You know all about how I was persecuted at Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. But the Lord rescued me from all of it. Yes, 
and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but the evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You've been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they've given you wisdom to receive the salvation that comes only by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Thank you. We are excited this morning to approach your word, God, realizing that these are the words that come from you, that you are the one that, that gave them to us through the, through the pen, the chisel of people, and, and we know with confidence that when we read it, we're not just hearing the thoughts of people from many years ago, but we're hearing the words of the God of the ages. We're hearing the words of a God who is faithful and true and wants his people to grow. And so we approach your word this morning, Lord, um, again, with excitement and enthusiasm and at the same time reverence as we recognize that when we look at those words on the page, we're hearing directly from you. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a paper Bible this morning, you've got a digital Bible, you can head over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we'll be landing today. We've been looking at uh, the life of Timothy and Paul and this little letter that Paul wrote to encourage Timothy along the way. We've seen that he's got some issues, that there's some timidity there, that there's a, that there's a chance that he might be fearful. And Paul is doing his best to encourage him to you know, be strong, be strong in the face of opposition. We come over to chapter 3, and chapter 3 and 4 start to be just a little bit different than the first two chapters. In the first two chapters, there were a lot of kind of direct imperatives, encouragements. He's, he's telling them, do this, do that, to where in, in 3 and 4, they start, to, they start to broaden out a little bit. They start to talk a little bit just beyond Timothy himself. So, for example, when we looked at chapter 2, here are some of the things we saw uh, in the middle and toward the end of that chapter. He told Timothy, you got to work hard. you got to work hard. For some of us, I don't know why it is, we become believers and we think God's just going to kind of super zap us with spirituality, that we just lay back and let God, you know, let go, let God, that sort of thing, and, and, God, and God will do And that's absolutely valid. we got to let go, let God. But that doesn't mean there isn't some work to do. We need to work. We need to work to go ahead and understand what Scripture has to say. We've got some effort to put in in terms of purity. There's work to be done. He says, work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive his approval. He says, don't forget, it's hard work. He also says to Timothy, you got some running to do. You got some running. You need to run away from certain things. You need to run towards certain things. You need to run away from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Just so you know, in the Greek, anything means anything. Anything. Absolutely everything. I don't know why it is for some reason, especially as we get a little bit older. As adults, we kind of go, I can handle that. No, you can't. There is no form of fire that you can handle. 
He says, run away from anything that stimulates useful lust. And then he says, and run toward righteousness, run toward love, run toward peace. And he says, run toward it with a herd, run with a group, run with other people who are calling on God out of a pure heart. So, and you remember last week we looked at the fact that the, the word here for run is a word that refers to persecution. He says, persecute it. Go after it until you catch it or run away from it and don't get caught by it. So he needs to work hard. He needs to run towards some things, run away from some things. And then he says, and you need to stay focused. You need to stay focused. It is, it is so easy to get bogged down in the minutiae. It's so easy to get bogged down in the petty, in, in little ideas that people have here and there and wander all over the place. He says to Timothy flatly, don't get involved in foolish, ignorant arguments that only cause fights. This has been going on for the 2,000 years of the church. That there's always someone that comes in and they got this brilliant idea. Ah, oh, did you hear about this? Oh, this is so cool. It's fascinating. Yeah, it's fascinating. It's just worthless. It's not worth going after. It's, as we talked about a few weeks ago, sophomoric. Sophia, wisdom, moron, fool, smashed together. The two, it's sophomoric thinking. He says, don't waste your time there. And for far too many, I think, especially younger pastors, younger leaders, they're, they're constantly playing whack-a-mole. They're squashing bugs all over the place instead of sticking to what really matters. Now, he does say, preach the truth, do it patiently, do it kindly, be gentle. Perhaps they'll catch it along the way, but don't have that be your primary focus. Stick with what matters. So for two chapters, he's been encouraging him to be strong, to go after it, to don't back, don't back down. And then he comes to chapter 3 and he says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now Timothy's got to be thinking, dude, it's already difficult. I mean, what have the last two chapters been about? They've been about the difficult times I'm already facing, and now you're saying it's going to get tougher now you're saying it's going to get worse than it actually has been already? When you're looking at this verse, you got to ask yourself the question, what does Paul mean when he says that in the last days there will be very difficult times? What is he referring to there? Now, if you were in my church growing up, First Baptist North Tonawanda, I was there from 1970 to 1981 as a kid, Pastor Wilhite, he'd preach away. I got to tell you, I heard him preach on this passage so many times, it is burned in my memory. And he always conveyed it in this regard. The last days in his mind were the moments prior to the return of Jesus. It had, it had an eschatological meaning just prior to the end. This is what it's going to look like. When this starts happening, you're going to see Jesus appear. And so he talked about it that way. And that is one way that the Church of Jesus Christ has viewed this through the years. But there's something else you've got to see. And that is that there are other places in the New Testament that use this exact same wording, last days. And it's not referring to end times. Uh, it's referring actually to the season, the period between Christ's ascent, between the ascension and Christ's return. This church age, the time in which we're living right now, this time that has lasted for 2,000 years and is continuing to go. We see Peter refer to it in Acts chapter 2 
when Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and all the people are saying, holy cow, the apostles are drinking way too early today. And, and, and Peter says they are not drunk. This is talked about in the Word of God. What you're seeing today is the fulfillment of Scripture. In verse 16, he says, No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. What does Joel say? In the last days, I will pour out my Spirit upon all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. He says, This is what you're seeing right now. And he referred to it happening when? Last days. Last days. Jesus had died just a short time before. He had, he had risen from the dead just a handful of days before. And now here he is saying, we're in the last days. This has been fulfilled. You see it also in Hebrews chapter 1. Long ago and many times and in many ways, God spoke to, our spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. So again, that word is used technically not to refer to the moments before the return of Christ, but to the season between the ascension, the ascent of Jesus, and his return. He says, during this time, during this season, it's going to be tough. Now, I've relied on about literally eight different commentaries, plus a number of other sources as we've studied through this, this short four-chapter book. And one of my favorites in all of it has been the shortest of them all, by John Stott. John Stott is a great Bible teacher uh, from the last century, and uh, he does a fantastic job just getting straight to the point on 2 Timothy. If you want to do a little further digging, I'd encourage you to get it. It is, it is short. It's, it's just a fantastic commentary. But he asks this question. I think it's, it's really a worthy ask. Why in the world is Paul saying at this point it's going to get tough? And why in the world is he saying it's going to get tough in the last days? I think, I think Paul is trying to lay out to Timothy that um, we live under a delusion that if Jesus is on our side, if we're on the side of God, for the most part, we're going to have an easy ride. And the ride gets rough when somehow we separate ourselves from Jesus. We separate ourselves from God and what, what's going on there. And it is true that we'll go through difficult seasons if we separate ourselves from Jesus. But I think what Paul is trying to say is there is going to be an ebb and flow of difficulty throughout the seasons of the church. There are going to be times that you're going to think things are going pretty well. We're winning. Isn't this great? It's, it's going the way it should. And, and, and you might get a chance to get a little lax in those seasons and say, we're doing okay. And then a season of intensity will come, and you're like, oh no, what is this? And he's saying, this is going to be the nature of ministry. I wish more people as they're entering ministry would hear this. Instead of, instead of hearing, oh, it's going to be great to hear, yeah, there are going to be great seasons, and there are going to be seasons that you wish you could just be the Walmart greeter. You know, you're going to want out. You're going to want to do anything else because it's going to ebb and flow. And he says there's going to be this ebb and flow. There are going to be seasons that are going to be great. There are going to be seasons that are going to be tough, and you need to be ready for both. That's what the last times are going to look like. Now, here, last days are going to look like. Now, what's interesting, when I think about this passage, and I don't stop and really read it, when I just think about it generically, my mind, I remember it being about the nature of the last days. This is what the last days will look like. Well, that's not what Paul says. 
He doesn't say this is what the last days will look like. He says this is what people will look like in the last days. For people will. So it's not just a description of the era. It's a description of the people of the era. It's a description of, of what you'll see rise up in the hearts of people. And what he does, he lists 19 difficulties that, that Timothy should expect. Now, you see 19 and you're like, oh my word, are we going to go through these one by one and define them all, pull out Greek words, blah, blah, blah? Yeah, really tedious. I get it. What we're going to do is, is look at them in lumps. Because I really think Paul, Paul wrote these in kind of lump fashion. You see a theme running through each. And the first is probably the most important. And that is that people throughout the history of the church will have misplaced loves. If, if it's all about love, how can you go wrong? By getting love wrong. By not getting love right. And so he talks about the fact that people were lovers of self. They're lovers of money. They're unloving. They're devoid of natural affection or instinct. That's going on today, folks. That's going on today where people are more enamored by an image on a screen than the person they're with. Devoid of true love. They don't love the good. They're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. He says, watch for this. You're going to find that often the trouble is going to come when a person has misplaced loves. Because our love is to be placed in what? Love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Misplaced love says watch for that. He also says they're going to have bloated egos. They're going to be braggers, they're going to be arrogant, and they're going to be conceited. You're going to see this constantly. You're going to see the fumes of conceit rise up in people. Watch for that. He says also that they're going to be relationally reckless. There's going to be a lot in terms of relationship that's just going to be all over the place. And obviously, if you have misplaced loves, you're going to have relational problems. These are going to be people that are constantly, every time you turn around, they got a problem with somebody, and they're just kind of like, I don't understand it, I don't get it. Look at the common denominator. You, right? Relationally reckless. They're abusive they dishonor parents. I put dishonor there instead of disobedient to because I think it really defines it the way, the way Paul was speaking. We're supposed to honor our parents, and yet there comes a point with some, even at 50 years old, that will be dishonoring to parents. They're unforgiving. They're slanderous. I love that Greek word. It's the Greek word diabolos. It's the Greek word for the devil. He's a slanderer. He's a liar. And so they're relationally reckless. Further, he says, they're rotten to the core. Now, if you, if you knew Greek, if you're looking at it, you see this theme happen here that's really cool. You have a whole bunch of words listed, and they all start with the letter A. And that A put in front of a word negates it. It negates it. So for us in English, it's unwords or not words. And you, and you see a whole bunch of them. I've actually repeated a couple from before so that you see them all, okay? Ungrateful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, uncontrolled, untamed. This is what's going to be going on. You're going to see this in people. There's going to be a thanklessness. I'll tell you what, gratitude. If you don't have gratitude, you have a hard life. You just have a hard... Of all the things we need to work on as a spiritual virtue, gratitude. Gratitude brings us to a beautiful place is it not surprising that they'd be marked by being ungrateful, by being thankless? Never is anything good enough. Unholy, unloving, 
uncontrolled lack of self-control. We live in an era right now where lack of self-control is actually encouraged instead of saying, get a grip, get a hold of this. There are a couple under rotten to the core that aren't uns. They're treacherous and they're reckless. Whole list of saying, this is what you can expect from the people of the world. And sadly, this is what you can expect sometime from the people of the church. This is what you can expect from people inside and outside. And it'll ebb and it'll flow. Sometimes it'll seem like, wow, this is the best. I, I can't imagine being anywhere else. And sometimes you're thinking, I wish I could be anywhere else. He goes on with a series of statements then. He says they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And you know what I, I love about that line? Our, our, our society has removed God from the picture. Here's the thing. When humans created in the image of God remove God from the picture, they still have to fill it with something. They still have to fill the hole with something. And so they invent a God. And for a lot of people, the God they invent is the God of pleasure. It's the God of just making sure that I am overjoyed all the time. This one's really important. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. People who have a form of religion, there, there's a form there. They might even go to church. They might do all the things they're supposed to do, but they deny its very power. There's nothing life-changing about it whatsoever. It's all, it's all about the act. It's all about the ceremony. It's all about the symbol, and there's nothing life-changing going on whatsoever. We have so many public figures that own being very religious and at the same time own unvirtues that you're like, the two don't go hand in hand. Having a form of godliness, but denying its very power. Now there's one other line that isn't included in the 19, but it's in a little paragraph that follows, and that is this one. They're always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Ever learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. They're always gathering new facts, new ideas, new little fascinations that they found from the Word of God, but it's not transformative. There's no transformation taking place whatsoever. They're infomaniacs. They just want more. They want to know more, but they don't want what they know to do anything to their life whatsoever. It says, Timothy, this is what the world is going to look like. And sometimes it's going to be worse, and sometimes it's going to be a little better. But no matter what's going on, this is just going to pop up again and again and again, and it has for 2,000 years. So then the question is, how should we respond? What should we do? Should we go form a commune somewhere? What should we do? How do we handle this? What's the response? Well, the first one, it's kind of tough, and, it, and, it's, and we got to think it through a little bit. He says, avoid such people. My goodness, how do I avoid myself? I mean, you know, <laughs> he goes through this whole list and he says, avoid such people. And yet, just a little earlier in chapter 2, he said, you're going to have some rascals who are going to want to throw out all kinds of foolish ideas. Speak to them gently. Maybe they'll change their mind. Which is it, Paul? Am I supposed to speak to him gently? Am I supposed to avoid them altogether? Yes, you're supposed to. Yes. You're supposed to have the discernment to know what you're looking at. 
You're supposed to have the discernment to know what you're dealing with. I think all of this, all of this hinges on that last line, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. These are people who feign a relationship with God and remain completely untransformed. And Paul's saying to Timothy, you are wasting your time and your breath with them. You're wasting your time and your breath. They've come to a place of such hardness, of such callousness, that there's nothing more that can be done. He says, focus, focus on the people who want to change. Focus on the people who want to grow. But don't have this be the majority of your focus, trying to get people who are just going through religious form to ultimately own the reality of it all. Tough words. And I think those are ones that we just need to, as Paul said in earlier chapter, you know, listen to what I'm saying and let God reveal it to you. I think it's something God's got to reveal to, to us throughout our time walking as Christians. What does it mean to have this list and say, this is to be avoided? How do we deal with that? He goes on in the chapter to talk about this whole thing about weak-willed women who are, who are burdened by sin, led astray by passions. What, what in the world is he talking about there? He's basically saying that these people prey on the vulnerable. They prey on people who are vulnerable. And he uses an example, this example of, of Janice and Jambres. And you can go ahead now and look up in your Bible, look up the word Janice, look up the word Jambres. Guess what? You're not going to find it there. It's not there. Those names aren't there except for here where Paul lists them. What is he talking about? Well, these two names were actually part of, part of Jewish tradition, part of Jewish history that were handed down. Uh, they're, they're actually the magicians found in Exodus chapter 7, verses 11 and 12. And they were people who opposed Moses and people who tried to lead people astray. He says they're just like them. Again, people who seem to have some form of religion, but not a relationship with God. He says you gotta, they, they oppose the truth. They have corrupt minds. They're disqualified in the faith. And he says ultimately, ultimately, who they are will be revealed. So he says there's some degree to which you just, you've got to find yourself doing some distancing some distancing from people who are wanting to live this way. Here's the other thing he says, though, and this is really important. I think that when you read a list like that, and I would dare say, by the way, not as a church, but as a culture, we're in one of the seasons that this is pretty nasty right now, right? We're living in the pretty nasty. And if you, if you focus all the time on the pretty nasty, you know, what, you know what happens? Your heart just starts to feel yuck all the time. I, was, I drove home the other day from Jewel, so real long drive, 10 minutes, and I was, listening, I was listening to one of my favorite radio people, and I got in the house, and, and I said to Kim, I just can't listen to him for a little while. I am so mad. I am so mad about everything. I am just so mad. When all we do is focus on how bad it is and how broken it is, it just rots out our heart. And I'm not saying we, you know, la, 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 Susie Sunshine and forget it all or something, but we've got to find some balance where we're not always obsessing over everything that's bad. You know what he says second? Don't just avoid such people. Admire the admirable. There are some good things going on. And there are some good people out there. He actually uses himself as the example. He says, Timothy, 
You've followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my suffering. You've seen all this for me. You've seen the way the Lord rescued me. You've seen the power of God in me. Look to some people who are an example of the good to be able to say, you know what, there is actually something godly going on in some people. And he reminds us, hey, everybody godly is going to go through suffering, and, and don't forget, evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You can always find the ugly. You can always find the ugly. He says you got to focus some on admiring the admirable. He even talks about Timothy's own life. He says, that is for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through Christ Jesus. He says, would you go back into the, into the annals of your life and realize God has had you all along. He's had you all the way. He has a purpose and a meaning for your life. He says you've got to spend some time admiring the admirable, not just always focused on everything that's a disaster. And then finally he says absorb the truth continually. The only way you stay sane in this universe right now is focusing on the truth. You will lose your mind if you're not focusing on the truth. I mean, things are changing so much here, there, redefined here, there, and everywhere right now, it just leaves you spinning. I feel for people in the world who do not have the Word of God. They have no compass. They're just spinning out of control, and they're dizzy. He says, starting in verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. It's breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching and reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. The man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, what he talks about here is the origins of Scripture as well as the purpose of Scripture. He gives us both sides. In terms of the origin, he says, all Scripture is breathed out by God. The breath of God formed the world, and the breath of God formed the Word. It's called the doctrine of inspiration. My systematic theology professor Wayne Grudem said, inspiration refers to the fact that the words of Scripture are spoken by God. This isn't just the invention of a human being. Hey, maybe this one will sell. These are the words of God given to us. Peter said, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. The pro for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, through human, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as though they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what's beautiful about inspiration. It's not that God was up there, okay, take this down, bop, 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 and he started just quoting. God, ever so beautifully, through his breath, fills a person with the Spirit in such a way that through their personality, through their experiences, they were able to write inerrantly the Word of God and give that to us. Beautiful cooperation between the Spirit of God and the servant of God. Scripture originated in the mind of God, was communicated by the mouth of God, by the means of the breath or spirit of God, through the hand, heart, and personality of the servant of God. You hold a sacred text. You hold the words of God. You hold the word of God. So he talks about the origin, and he also talks about the purpose. It's profitable 
Profitable means useful. It's useful for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So he gives us these four words, teaching, reproving, correcting, training, maybe not especially reproving, words that we use quite commonly. And what we see here is that he combats the person who has the form of godliness but denies its power. The person who wants the information but doesn't want the wisdom that transforms. So in this, he talks about our beliefs as well as our behavior. Teaching and reproving talks about belief. It's expounding the truth and exposing error. The word expounds the truth. You learn what is true through the word of God. And error is exposed through the word of God. And then it's about behavior, correcting and training, challenging conduct. Is this what God wants us to be doing? And instilling discipline, the discipline of training, of, of over and over and over reading until we get it right. And then the last line, he gives us the result. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you learned it in the King James, you learned it as that the man of God may be perfect. And you look at perfect, you're like, nobody's perfect. Uh, not the greatest word to use. Well, the word that should have been used is the word mature. When we are mature, we are complete. All the pieces are there. So he's talking about maturity and mastery, maturity and mastery. That as we, as we embrace the word of God, we grow in maturity, we grow in completeness, and we grow in mastery. We're equipped to do all the things God wants us to do. So he says, if you're going to combat this season, there's some avoiding you got to do, there's some admiring, but there's also some absorbing. You've got to be absorbing the Word of God, taking it in, as he said, studying it so that you'll be approved. Going back to that set of verses we looked at, couple weeks ago. This is a trustworthy saying. If we die with him, we also live with him. If we endure hardship, we will reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. He cannot die himself. I want to look at that last couplet this week. We will all have seasons of unfaithfulness. Every one of us. Every human being will have a season of unfaithfulness. And if all we ever do is focus on the unfaithfulness of, of human beings, it will be a very depressing walk. What we under, have to understand is God is always faithful. He never fails, never fails. And so even in the darkest moment, even in the moment that we think, my goodness, how could it get any worse? God remains faithful. And so we focus on his faithfulness. We keep our eyes there. Father God in heaven, these are not easy times. And you know what? You told us through Paul, they never will be. Stop thinking it's got to be easy. We are here to combat and confront wickedness. We are here to expose and expound truth to help people realize that they can have a relationship with God as well. So help us not to be surprised when things go from bad to worse. Help us to keep our eyes on you and your faithfulness along the way. And to be willing to do the hard work of understanding what it is you are saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. The faithfulness of God is exposed through communion. Jesus comes, he dies, he's buried, he rises again so that we can have newness of life.
this morning as we listen to the beginning of a song, take in the words. Ironically, the, one of the subtitles for this song in the title is Madness, Madness. In the middle of the madness, know that God is here now with us. Let's go to communion. Both songs come together and tell us where, you know, to fix our eyes. Fix our, where are your eyes fixed? Where's your focus? What are you looking at? And I promise you, if your eyes are focused on the fact that you're, you're in the fire and you're all alone, you're going to be consumed. If your eyes are, are focused on the madness and not on Jesus, you're going to be consumed. And he says, our eyes, where our eyes are, determine our effectiveness. They determine whether or not we're going to be consumed. I recommended this little commentary to you by John Stott. I know that John Stott is no longer on this earth, that he, he passed away in, in 2011, so he's been gone now uh, doing the math 11 years, right? He writes this paragraph. Looking back over this chapter as a whole, we can appreciate the relevance of its message to our pluralistic and permissive society. The times of stress in which we seem to be living are very distressing. Sometimes one wonders if the world and the church have gone mad. So strange are their views, and so lax are their standards. So after reading that paragraph, I went to the front of the book. Uh, he wrote this commentary in 1973. I was in third grade, and it felt like the end and it feels like the end, and it will always feel like the end, because wicked will always be there. And sometimes it will ebb, and sometimes it will flow, but it will always be there, and it's our responsibility in the middle of it all to bring people safely home to God. Sometimes I laugh at us. We're like a, a nurse or a doctor at a hospital. Man, I wish, I wish there were no sick people here. Sick as sick people. Why can't we just have a hospital with no sick people? Because it wouldn't be a hospital. Churches are full of sick people. You don't believe it? Look at the person next to you. Churches are <laughs> full of sick people. They're full of sick people who need to be brought safely home to God. The times are perilous, but God is always with you, always with you. Take him with you as you go. Enjoy your day.